see you on this time change Sunday. Looks like some of our folks didn't get the memo, but uh, we are glad that you are here bright and early this morning. Let's stand together and begin our time of worship together. On Christ the solid rock I stand. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood.
pray. Father, thank you for bringing us to this place this morning to worship you. Father, where we have the freedom to come. Father, thank you for allowing us to be here in this place today. Most all of us had warm beds to sleep in without the threat of bombs going off outside of our house. Father, we're thankful for that. But at the same time, we grieve for our friends across the world today. We continue to keep the people of Ukraine in our prayers. Pray that you would protect them. Those that have fled from the country provide for mothers and children. Protect dads and sons and fathers that have stayed behind to defend their country. Father, today, speak to us. Father, accept our worship today as a sacrifice that you may be praised, that you may be honored, glorified, and exalted today. We thank you, we love you, we praise you in your son's name. Amen. Please be seated. We are so glad that you are here to worship today. And like I said earlier, uh, you get bonus points for being here at the 830 service on Time Change Sunday. It's good to see Chuck Burns. He had a little hospital stint today, uh, this week. I talked to him the day that he was going to get out of the hospital, and, and he said, I'll probably see you on Sunday. So if Chuck Burns tells you something, he means it. So, uh, brothers, good to see you, and uh, we, uh, we rejoice that our Holy Land group did get off. Uh, they had a little bit of a delay with snowstorm um, in, uh, where was that, Istanbul? Yeah, so they had to reroute them all, and uh, Jeff and Tim uh, had an early bird shuttle to the airport yesterday morning. They, they did all uh, get where they were supposed to go. They had to split up, but uh, pray for that group in the days ahead uh, for safety and that uh, they would uh, have a great time there. We are, we are glad you are here with us today. We all look like home folks. If, if you are a guest of ours and slipped in, I didn't recognize you. We are glad you are here. We'd like a record of your attendance. If you could do that, uh, there's a a guest card in the pew pocket in front of you. If you're watching online this morning, either YouTube or Facebook, we're glad that you have joined us today. And uh, so, but there's nothing like being in the house of the Lord. Amen. Amen. So uh, uh, the choir, uh, they get extra points too. We've got a good group for Time Change Sunday, and they're going to sing for you now. Honored, glorified, exalted.
Amen to that. Stand together. Let's continue our time of worship. Redeemed. How I love to proclaim it. Redeemed. How I love to proclaim it. Redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Redeemed through His infinite mercy. His child and
set us free. Hallelujah, death has lost its grip on me. Father, you've broken every chain. And there is salvation in only your name and your name alone, our living hope. Father, be with us today as we hear from you, Father, through our pastor. We lift him up to you, Father, that you would give him the words today that you've put on his heart to share with us today. Father, speak to us in a mighty way that when we leave here today, that we may be able to say it's been good to be in your house today. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Amen and amen. Be seated, church family. Thank you so much for being here. Uh, Brother Steve is right. This is a significant Sunday with time change. I pray that you made that transition just fine. And um, several things before we dive into the message this morning. First of all, uh, many of you know that I have been trying to get my voice back um, after last Sunday. And so I'm super excited to have what I have. I'm going to try to be gentle and easy. Um, Dr. Price said there's only one solution, preach a lot shorter. And, and so um, I think that's probably a good suggestion. We'll see what we can do. Um, I'm going to steal a comment made by um, Paula down here. She said, you know what? I just feel like a Baptist this morning. We got to run around and greet each other. And um, and that's right. We are. We're getting back to being ourselves, and I celebrate that. I also want to recognize that we saw a great act of faith this morning. Um, Brother Steve um, scheduled our celebration choir to sing on Spring Forward Sunday. And didn't they do an excellent job? Amen. Praise be to God for our choir. If you're in that choir, thank you. If you want to join that choir, come and be a part of that on Wednesday evening. I, I celebrate what, what you guys do. A wonderful job. And then last, if I may, 
as the pastor of our church, we um, really need to stop and give thanks to God for what he has done. Church family, um, we took out a loan well over 10 years ago. We've been marching away, um, chipping away at that for well over a decade, and we have spent somewhere um, over $3 million. And praise God, this week, God's people came together and finished off that loan. Join me together, and let's praise God. That loan is behind us. Amen. All God's people said, amen. Amen. I I am so excited to be able to declare that. We will have a celebration soon. We're going to burn that note together, and we're going to turn our hearts toward heaven and thank him for the ways that he's provided. Um, let's go ahead and begin this morning's sermon. Last, um, the last two Sundays, we have been talking about Moses, and it has been a part of a larger effort to walk through the big events, to embrace the big names of the Old Testament. I've enjoyed this so much. We've already talked about David, the kind of person God chooses. Uh, we got to walk with Elijah through that monumental moment on top of Mount Carmel and then that depressed state that followed there in the Kareth Ravine. And then we've been with Moses, as I said, these last two Sundays. And if I can this morning, how about we begin with another Moses joke? Is that okay? Got good response to our last Moses jokes, and so I'm going to give you one to work with this week. Here's how the story goes. Moses and Jesus and an old man went and played golf together one morning, and of course, Jesus tees off first. He steps up to the tee box, he swings away, and the ball drifts to the right, right into a water hazard. Well, it being Jesus, his ball floated, and so he made his way down, and he walks out on the water, and there the ball is, teed up perfectly floating, and Jesus hits it onto the green. Beautiful shot, right? So next up is Moses, and and he too tees off, and his ball also finds the water hazard, but being Moses, he makes his way way down, and he parts the water, goes out and finds the ball, and swings, and boom, right there on the green, it lands in two shots. So the old man steps up and he swings away and you guessed it, his ball also found the water hazard and as as soon as it did, a large fish comes up and grabs the ball into its mouth. Immediately upon grabbing the ball, an eagle swoops down and grabs that fish and takes off with the fish, the ball in its mouth and as soon as it gets over the green, the eagle squeezes down with its talons, the ball pops out, rolls on the green, right into the cup, hole in one and as soon as it happens, Jesus turns to the old man and says, look dad, if you're going to play, at least play fair. And so there's there's your Moses joke for the week with, with a couple of others added in. Now, so far, we have talked and walked together with some meaningful steps with Moses. And we've spoken about God calling Moses. We've talked about some of the excuses that he gave. And we were reminded in that sermon, right, that we too offer excuses to God. And last week, we... we embraced Pharaoh, and we talked about Pharaoh's disobedience. We talked about the consequences of compromise, a very needed message, and we examined those first nine plagues, remember, that God sent upon Egypt, but Pharaoh still refused to let the Hebrews go. And so today, as I told you last week, we arrive today at the 10th plague, and the title of this message is the Passover and freedom. Now to get us into our text, our first text today, I want to talk about the refusal of Pharaoh. You see, Pharaoh's heart that we saw last week still exists with us this morning. Nine times Pharaoh was approached by Moses. And nine times he refused to let the Hebrews go. And now this morning we see one more time that God warns Pharaoh of what's coming and he still refuses. Go ahead and take your Bibles this morning with that preface today. And let's go to Exodus chapter 11. Let's go ahead and stand together as we honor the reading of God's word. We're going to read Hebrews, excuse me, Exodus 11, 1 through 10. Now the Lord had said to Moses, I will bring one more plague on Pharaoh and on Egypt. 
After that, he will let you go from here, and when he does, he will drive you out completely. Tell the people that men and women alike are to ask their neighbors for articles of silver and gold. The Lord made the Egyptians favorably disposed toward the people, and Moses himself was highly regarded in Egypt by Pharaoh's officials and by the people. Stop right there for a moment. If you've ever wondered where the gold and silver came from for the building of the tabernacle, this is exactly the answer you're looking for. You see, it was the Egyptians who basically financed the very first building campaign of the Hebrews. Very inter- of the Hebrews. Very interesting note. Verse number four. So Moses said, this is what the Lord says, about midnight, I will go throughout Egypt. Every firstborn son in Egypt will die from the firstborn son of Pharaoh who sits on the throne to the firstborn son of the slave girl who is at her handmill and all the firstborn of the cattle as well. There will be loud wailing throughout Egypt, worse than there has ever been or ever will be again. But among the Israelites, not a dog will bark at any man or animal. And then you will know that the Lord makes a distinction between Egypt and Israel. All these officials of yours will come to me, bowing down before me and saying, Go, you and all the people who follow you. After that, I will leave. And then Moses, hot with anger, left Pharaoh. The Lord had said to Moses, Pharaoh will refuse to listen to you. So that my wonders may be multiplied in Egypt. Moses and Aaron performed all these wonders before Pharaoh. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. And he would not let the Israelites go out of his country. May God teach us today. As we open ourselves before the open word of God. Let's be seated. Let's go back to where we were last week. Why would God intentionally hardened the heart of Pharaoh. We dealt with this last Sunday morning, and and the answer is this isn't something that God did intentionally. We actually need to go further than that and say it's not something that God did at all. What does it mean when it says God hardened Pharaoh's heart? Well, to remind you of last week's teaching, this phrase is very much like the same phrase we see in the book of Romans where it says God gave them over to their sin. And what it means is that when somebody walks away from God, then God says, if that's where you want to go, then I'm going to allow you to go there. I will let you, right? He gives them over. He allows people like us, right, to our free choice of disobedience. And when a person chooses that, they go deeper and deeper into disobedience against God. A person's heart gets harder and harder and harder. And you see, there's a lesson for us from, from reading this passage, and it's connected to Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews 4 says, do not harden your hearts. Now, let me ask you this morning. Have you ever known someone whose heart was hardened against God? Has your heart ever been hardened against God? And then really the, the key question, how does a heart get hardened? Well, the answer is simple. A person listens to God, receives the commands of God, receives the instructions of God so many times. And so many times they don't respond or they refuse what God's calling them to do. And in that process, the heart gets hardened Or, let me illustrate like this, a heart gets calloused. How many of you have ever shaken the hand of a man who has really callous skin? Now, growing up in the West Texas oil fields, I had the chance to do this often. And I remember at church and in life, there growing up in West Texas, shaking many a man's hand, his hand was ridiculously calloused. I mean, this man had grabbed so much pipe that he could reach into a West Texas mesquite tree and not even be affected by the thorns. It wouldn't even phase him. But the truth is, folks, here's the scary part. Our hearts can become just as calloused. 
We can develop calluses on our heart. And there are some people who have heard God and heard God and heard God, but they've never, they choose never to respond in obedience. And they get calloused against his voice and his command. Today, I believe it's so wise for us to heed this warning this morning. Beware that you don't harden your heart. You see, this was Pharaoh. This is one of the primary lessons of this entire story, that Pharaoh's heart was hardened. He refused the voice of God. And so unto Pharaoh comes these requirements for Passover. We're going to spend some time talking about these this morning because God sets down some very specific requirements. And I think we ought to pause right quick and talk about this. Our God is a specific God. Have you learned that to be true as you walk with him, as as you read scripture? He's a God of details. And when God says he wants you to do something in a certain way, we better make sure we're doing it according to the certain way that he has prescribed. He sets out some very specific requirements, and we get to read about those beginning in Exodus chapter 12. Let's let's go to Exodus 12 verse 1. We're going to end up reading all the way through 13, but let's just read verse 1. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in Egypt... This month is to be for you the first month, the first month of your year, right? In other words, let's stop for a second. God is telling them right here, I'm about to do something for you that's going to set you free. They were in Egyptian bondage. I'm going to do something, God says, for you that's going to give you an entire new future. This is going to be something, God in essence says, that's going to be commemorated and celebrated for centuries and centuries. And do you realize this story still is permeated around us today because our Jewish friends still celebrate the Seder or the Passover every single year. So now the requirements begin in verse number 5. Let's go there. The animals you choose must be year-old males without defect. And you may take them from the sheep or the goats, take care of them until the 14th day of the month when all the people of the community of Israel must slaughter them at twilight. And then they are to take some of the blood. And put it on the sides and the tops of the door frames of the houses where they eat the lambs. That same night they are to eat the meat roasted over the fire along with bitter herbs and bread made without yeast. Do not eat the meat raw or cooked in water, but roast it over the fire, head, legs, and inner parts. Do not leave any of it till morning. If some is left till morning... You must burn it. And this is how you are to eat it, God says, with your cloak tucked into your belt, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. Eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. Verse 12. On the same night, I will pass through Egypt and strike down every firstborn, both men and animals, and I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. I am The Lord, focus on I am. The blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will do what? Pass over you. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. So do you see what I said? God is specific, isn't he? He had precise requirements for the lamb. But now if I can, and I want you to walk with me right here, I want to turn this whole thing on its head right now. And I want us together to see something so much deeper. You see, this is more than a lamb or lambs in the Egyptian desert. No, this is a prophecy of the very lamb of God, Jesus Christ. I want us to switch our thinking right now. And I want you to understand how marvelously... 
The Lord Jesus Christ fulfills the prophecy of the Passover lamb. Jesus Christ is the lamb of God. Let's look at five of the details, the requirements of this Passover lamb, and I want you to see how they connect to the Lord Jesus. Number one, the lamb had to be of prime age. It had to be a male that was one year old, the prime of life. And now the question, how old was Jesus when he was crucified on the cross? Anyone? 33 years old, right? Many people consider that to be the prime of life. If you're 33 today, you're living the dream and the prime of your life. And the second thing, the lamb had to have no defect. It couldn't be a lamb with a crippled leg. It couldn't be a lamb that was discolored. It could not be a lamb that held disease. It had to be a perfect lamb. Is there anyone in this room who has no defect, morally or spiritually? Absolutely not. None of us could ever meet that requirement. There's only been one person who has ever lived that did not have one single character defect. His name is the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus himself and Jesus alone fulfilled this prophecy. No defect in the Lord Jesus. The third characteristic of the lamb. The lamb had to be slain at twilight. We know, folks, that the Lord Jesus was nailed to the cross about 9 a.m. He hung on that cross for nine hours, the scripture teaches us, and he died close to twilight. How do we know that? Because Mark tells us, as evening was approaching, the soldiers came and broke the knees of the two thieves on each side of Jesus, but Jesus was already dead. It was just before twilight that Jesus died. Have you, have you ever wondered why Jesus died then? It was to be a fulfillment of this scripture. The fourth characteristic. The lamb's, the lamb's blood must be applied. So you saw in the text they were to slaughter this lamb. And then they were to take the blood and literally paint that blood on the doorpost and the lentils of their homes. And then they walked in under the blood safe from the judgment. Let me ask you this. What do you think would have happened that night if they would not have applied the blood to the doorpost? What would have happened if they would not have followed God's instruction? There would have been judgment, right? There would have been death. There would have been tragedy. What's the lesson here, folks? The blood of Jesus was shed on the cross. But it has no impact on your life or mine until we apply until we apply the Holy Spirit, we ask the Spirit to apply the blood to the doorpost and the lentils of our very lives. And so I ask you today, have you been to Jesus for the cleansing power? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? The Lamb's blood must be applied. Number five, the Lamb must be eaten with anticipation. Here's what God said, Moses, tell all the people, to get their traveling clothes on, right? Because this means when you receive and eat and partake of this lamb, it means that you're about to be set free from bondage. You're about to be set free. Now, wait a minute. They weren't set free yet, were they? No, they were still in Egyptian slavery. The death angel hadn't passed over yet. Pharaoh hadn't said, get out of here yet. So why were they dressing up? Because when you receive the Lamb of God by faith, when you receive Jesus into your heart, you must receive Him. How? With anticipation. Because at that moment, by faith, you are set free from bondage, even though you're not in heaven yet, right? So the question, is there really a connection between the Passover Lamb and Jesus Christ? You better believe there is. Absolutely there is. 1 Corinthians 5, 7, the Apostle Paul tells us this. Get rid of the old yeast. That's a picture of sin. Get rid of the old yeast that you may be a new batch without yeast as you really are. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Friends, the Apostle Paul declares that Jesus is our Passover lamb. The Bible says without the shedding of blood, there couldn't be no remission of sin. 
John the Baptist said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Church, Jesus was our Lamb. He was sacrificed in our place. He paid the price so we don't have to. He shed his perfect blood to pay the price for our sin. Jesus was the perfect fulfillment of the blood requirement for the atonement in the Old Testament. His blood protects us from sin's impact. It protects us from sin's cost. If we only apply that blood to the doorposts and the lentils of our lives, then death will pass over us if our sin is covered by the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Friends, that's the lesson of the Passover. Do you understand that? Pharaoh refused. God set out specific requirements. But now, one last thing I want to discuss, and that's the response of the people. You see, the Israelites responded one way, but the Egyptians responded quite another. Go to Exodus 12, verse 21. Exodus chapter 12, verse 21 reads this way, Then Moses summoned all the elders of Israel, and he said to them, Go at once and select the animals for your families and slaughter the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop, dip it into the blood in the basin, and put some of the blood on the top and on the both sides of the door frame. Not one of you shall go out the door of his house until morning. When the Lord goes through the land to strike down the Egyptians, he will see the blood on the top and the sides of the door frame and will pass over that doorway, and he will not permit the destroyer to enter your houses and strike you down. Let's choose two words for the Israelites. Their response was characterized by these two words. Are you ready? Trust and obey. They believed the word of God. And they believed it so much that they were willing to obey it. I want you to grab your Bibles. Raise them up right quick. Let's just do this together. All right. Good job bringing your Bibles, by the way. That's beautiful. Did you know the only parts of this book that you really believe are the parts that you obey? The only part of this book that you truly believe is the part that you obey. Let's rewind to these several millennia before and let's have some fun for a moment. I want you to imagine... That a dad has just received Moses' instructions. He has a boy who's 12. And this pride of his life, this apple of his eye, this, this young boy, he's, he's the firstborn. And the dad runs home to share the instructions. The boy's sharp. His eyes get big. Dad, I'm the firstborn. Dad, let's do this, he says. So they do it exactly the way they've been told. Evening progresses, right? It's time for dinner. The 12-year-old is sitting there biting his fingernails. He's wondering if he's really safe. And the dad says, son, don't worry. God has given us his word. And yet all night long, that young boy tosses and turns. And the next morning, he managed to get to sleep. And the next morning, he awakes. And he says, it worked. Right? Now, the truth is that that poor boy spent a whole night worrying about things he never should have worried about. And here's the connection for us. There are a lot of Christians today just like him. Now, I've asked a lot of people in my life these questions. Are you a Christian? Are you saved? And here's the responses that I've received over the years. Some people say, well, pastor, I hope so. Some people have said, pastor, I think so. And some people have said, pastor, 
I know so. So here's my question. What kind of person are you? Inside this room, online today, what kind of person are you? Do you know it's the blood of Jesus that has made you safe from his judgment? Did you know that it's his word, though, that makes you sure? It's his blood, right, that makes you safe. It's his word that makes you certain. Are you a hope so? Are you a think so? Or are you a know so Christian? Friends, the Hebrews trusted and they obeyed and therefore they were what? They were sure. They were certain. It's an unbelievable process. If you trust God, if you obey God, then you can have certainty in God. Somebody say amen to that. But now flip it to the other side and let's characterize the Egyptians. The Israelites were trust and obey. The Egyptians, though, were sin and sorrow. That's their two words. And sin and sorrow were their fate because they did not obey God. In my very first church, I was a student at Howard Payne University. I was serving at the First Baptist Church of Blanket, Texas, right? And there was a man in that amazing little country church who prayed almost every Sunday to end the worship service. I'll never forget it. He would always say something like this, bless the gift and the giver, he said. You ever heard somebody pray that? And then he would say this. He would say, and Lord, forgive us our sins. Forgive us our sins of commission and forgive us our sins of omission. I thought of him because the sin the Egyptians committed that evening was the sin of omitting obedience. They just didn't do what God said. They didn't want to deal, if you will, with the blood. Did you know there are a lot of people today who don't like the gospel of the blood of Jesus Christ? Now, I'm just going to get right into it right here. There there are churches right now that, that are pastors standing in pulpits. There are people gathered in churches where they've taken the word blood out of their hymnals. They've taken the word blood out of their preaching. They just don't like the blood. But I'll tell you, where there is no blood of the lamb, then there is no preaching. Where there is no blood of the lamb, there is no good news. Where there is no blood of the lamb, there is no true church. Where there is no blood, friend, there's no forgiveness of sin. Without the blood, we can't even be here. God said, when I see the blood, then I will pass over you. Folks, when you trust and obey, there's sureness and certainty. But if you disobey and reject the blood, there's only sin and sorrow. I said I wasn't going to get worked up with my voice, but that's almost unavoidable to do when you're preaching about the shed blood of the Lamb, Jesus Christ. Amen and amen. Folks, there's a church. I close with this. There is a church in Norway called the Church of the Lamb. Go look it up. And they call themselves the Church of the Lamb because at the pinnacle of the steeple of this old wooden church, There's a beautiful carving of a singular, solitary lamb. And the story behind it is rather amazing. Because as the story goes, years ago when the workmen were building this beautiful wooden cathedral, a workman was laboring up at the very top of that steeple. And he suddenly slipped and he lost his balance. And he fell hundreds of feet onto the street below. But at the very moment that he fell, going through the narrow streets of that little town was a flock of sheep. And he fell onto the back of one of those sheep. That lamb broke his fall. He was hardly injured at all. However, that lamb was smashed. And it died. And as a tribute to that single solitary lamb, 
The workmen carved the lamb into the steeple of the church, and thus it became the church of the lamb. What a gorgeous picture of what Jesus did for you and me. Isaiah 53, 5. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Folks, when, when God took my sin, when God took your sin and placed it on the Lord Jesus Christ, it crushed him to death. But you and I can live eternally because the Lamb has taken our fall. I pray today.